The Faculty Futures Lab is a project of the SDSU Initiative for Inclusive Leadership, a faculty-led effort to grow capacity to lead within institutions of higher education in complex and uncertain times. Funded by the President's Budget Advisory Committee. Learn more at fa.sdsu.edu. All guests speak from their own expertise and experience, not for San Diego State University. Welcome to another episode of the Faculty Futures Lab. My name is Joanna Brooks. I'm Associate Vice President for Faculty Advancement and Student Success at San Diego State University. And I'm very pleased to be sharing with you today um, more stories from winners of our Faculty Forward Awards. We developed these awards um, last summer in the context of the COVID pandemic to really highlight, celebrate, and honor the incredible work our faculty, both here at SDSU and we know teachers everywhere are doing it, but specifically here at SDSU are doing to make a learning happen um, in such trying circumstances. So today, our second batch of fall 2020 winners, uh, Dr. Denise Lebsack from Exercise Nutritional Science, uh, Dr. Marissa Vasquez from our Administration Rehabilitation and Education Program, and Drs. Kim Twist and Stephen Gogan from Political Science, talking about teamwork, how important it is to develop strong teamwork with our colleagues, with community partners, and to foster it among our students. Enjoy. I'm Sarah Elkine, the director of CTL, and I'm here today talking with four of our fall 2020 Faculty Forward Award winners who all did very innovative uh, innovative things to make their teaching work in the remote setting that I really want to share with you. So I'd like to welcome Kim Twist and Stephen Gogan and Denise Lebsack and Marissa Vasquez. Welcome all. Um, so um, let's uh, start, let's go in the order that I just read your names off and why don't you uh, tell me just in a few minutes what it was that you, that you did and what you, and how it worked, starting with Kim. Sure, thanks Sarah. So Stephen and I were both teaching sections of Poli-Sci 201, which is an intro statistics class. It's a requirement for the major, so we get a lot of Poli-Sci majors, but other social science majors. And we both taught the class in the past. We've never taught it in the same semester, but the two of us kind of designed the class simultaneously. And so when I would teach it, I would look to Stephen for feedback, and when he would teach it, we'd kind of go back and forth. And so we thought Given the unique circumstance of this semester, why not kind of pool our resources and let students have access to both of us? And we both, we, we come from a very similar perspective on how statistics is taught and, and kind of where students struggle and, and what we can be doing to, to help them. And so I think we were both very much aware that sometimes just hearing someone say the same thing with slightly different words just really unlocks something. For students. And so that was, that was kind of the jumping off point. And we decided let's give students access to all of them. So they were about 25 person classes. And so all 50 students, like you can access as many of your classmates as you want. You have access to both of us. We're going to pre-record a lot of the kind of lecture content so that it's, you can go back to it, watch it a million times if you would like. No, no YouTube monetizement there, but you can, you know, you can, you can watch as many times as you'd like. And then our class time is just access to us and working in small groups and really that kind of coming together in a way that students always liked, but you just don't really have the time to do in a in a face-to-face class where you're giving that lecture content as well. So in some ways, it was kind of like a flipped class where class sessions were just work time and question time and watching students work together. And I don't, I want to give Stephen a chance to jump in there too. Sure. Yeah. So Kim highlighted a lot of, I think, the things that we we tried to do. And in addition to kind of hearing us each separately, individually talk about the same things and maybe teach them in slightly different ways and slightly different kind of metaphors is, you know, we had a number of videos where we interacted with each other. Um, so we kind of know when the questions are coming and what questions are coming in the pipe from students throughout the semester. And so we'd film not necessarily every week, but a session of both of us on Zoom, effectively um, kind of talking about the material and asking each other the questions we know are coming and, you know, answering them. Um, you know, not completely naive. We know how to answer them both, right? But um, trying to lay out kind of 
that these aren't stupid questions in many ways and getting them to challenge and understand some of the assumptions by kind of watching us discuss it and hopefully kind of leading them down the, the path where there are actual real ambiguous things, um, in addition to obviously all the other things Kim highlighted. Thank you. Denise. Hi, thank you again for this opportunity. Um, I was really challenged as a program director of the athletic training program. I was really challenged with uh, two problems or two issues that came up when the pandemic hit. And I wanna address both briefly. So our program requires students to do a clinical internship experience where they have to go out into the community and get in-person hands-on experience working with athletes or patients who are injured or ill. So obviously, um, you know, many of the um, clinical sites that we utilize traditionally were shut down and there were no face-to-face -face athletic participation or events going on. And so our students were, you know, kind of homebound, not having those opportunities. And so um, one of the first things we addressed was, you know, how are we going to get these students clinical experiences that they need to learn how to deal with patient care? And so um, we just got creative. And, you know, to be honest, we, we were looking at this as a short-term solution. So we made the decision to take advantage of everything we could teach our students virtually that related to clinical education. So, for example, we taught them um, about COVID and the pandemic, they took a, um, a contact tracing course that was free that it, you know, helped them uh, as they transition now back to their clinical sites where they have to do those skills. And I have to say that in an effort to really make this clinical education experience work on a virtual level, we really reached out and tapped into our alumni network. So um, we have a huge alumni network and we have professionals out in the field that are working that, you know, we reached out to and said, hey, we need your help. We need guest speakers. We need topics. We need, you know, things that these students might not get normally that we're now able to provide through Zoom and, um, you know, virtual avenues that, you know, it, it really just allowed us to capitalize on things that we might not normally have thought to do. And so one of those things, for example, was we tapped into an alumni who works at UCSD that is <clears throat> doing concussion management through telemedicine. And so we were able to, to introduce this concept of teleconcussion management through, you know, virtual uh, interviews and monitoring of symptoms. And so I think on the clinical side, I just, we couldn't have done it without some amazing alumni. We have some really awesome clinical preceptors that stepped up and did these experiences with our students virtually, even though they didn't have to because their sports weren't going. Um, it just, it really was a group effort on that end. And so um, I also work closely with our clinical coordinator, Margot Greitzer, and she, you know, was instrumental in, in getting some of these virtual experiences organized and and so I think on, on that end, it was, you know, somebody said, well, I've, I've been at San Diego State for 26 years. And so that enabled us to tap into our alumni network because I have students going back 26 years that I can call and say, hey, we need you. <laughs> um, so that worked out really well. And then on the academic side of things, I have really enjoyed transitioning to Canvas. And in particular, what I've enjoyed using is the with Zoom, the breakout rooms, and then I can tie in uh, an, a scenario. For example, I might have an emergency action plan, emergency scenario, but then I can go over into Canvas and use the pages option and create the scenario for each group. And I can put them into the groups and I can kind of tag team between Canvas and Zoom in the groups where they're doing a group activity and they can type into the Canvas page live during our Zoom class while we're each, um, you know, working on, on the different scenarios. And so they, they work on it in their breakout rooms on, the, on their, uh, in, you know, on their own. And then we pull them back together as a class and go over each of the scenarios and they can pull up their Canvas page and show where they've typed in some responses and 
So I, I've enjoyed, you know, being able to utilize um, that. And I feel like it gives them a sense of a working group that would be very similar to what we'd have them do in the classroom. And so That's I feel like in that and they haven't missed out a lot. That I, I'm some of those things that you just described are so exciting. And one of the things that I like about what Kim and Stephen were just talking about and what you just said, Denise, is the way um, you use the resources of the virtual classroom to really expand the number of instructors and the number of different voices giving the content. Um, and one of the things that I was so excited by your project, Kim and Stephen, was sometimes you need to hear something from a different person and the way you made that possible and kind of built that into your courses is just fantastic. Super, super cool. Marissa, tell us about what you did. Uh, yes. Hey, Sarah. Um, thank you for sharing that, Denise. I took down notes. I was like, that's such a great idea. I want to do that in this semester with my courses. Um, yeah, so it's like using this canvas for like live note taking and then bringing it back. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I feel like the our our innovation similar. I think we had similar mindsets. So my my colleague uh, Frank Harris was my um, my kind of my go to person that you know we, we kind of organized this. Uh, hold on, let me <laughs> let me stop. <laughs> I got too many thoughts running through my mind. Um, okay time in and okay um yeah okay so I would say a lot of it some of it mirrors what Kim and Steven did in terms of like you know being available for students having us both so um in our situation so Frank and I teach in our uh we have a doctoral program in community college leadership and so the way that this program is designed it's through this executive model. So students come to class basically once a month. So they'll take classes all day Thursday, all day Friday, all day Saturday, um, in both the fall and the spring semesters. But in the summer, they have a one week like intensive, two week, two week intensive situation. So they take two courses, one course each week. Um, and so it's a lot. And so I think, so this idea that we had and that we um, implemented, actually we tried it first over the summer um, because as you know, there was a lot going on, you know, aside from the pandemic, you know, we had the, um, you know, the murder of George Floyd and just all of these other um, just dialogues that were happening around racial justice. And, you know, I feel like the students were coming into the summer already very stressed, um, a lot of anxiety, you know, from these external factors and then trying to focus on courses over a two week period where, you know, they're in class eight to five, um, for two weeks straight. And so it was, it was a lot. And so um, the course that I taught was uh, strategic planning for community colleges. And then Frank taught um, like our diversity equity um, for community colleges. And so we thought, you know, these two courses are, you know, they are very similar. They go hand in hand, especially around equity and equity planning within strategic planning. And so we thought, you know, why don't we, um, I think similar again to to Kim and Stevens, like we, we should make ourselves available, but let's combine our class. So it's one assignment that cuts across both courses. Uh, and so, you know, we, we each had our own syllabi where, you know, Frank kind of outlined his topics for the week. I outlined my topics for the week, but we gave them one kind of universal assignment where, um, and, and, you know, again, during this time, the one universal assignment would have been a paper if it had not, you know, all these things going on, but, you know, something else that be, has become so much more popular were webinars. Um, you know, there, were, there was a lot of webinars that were occurring over the summer, you know, people just kind of just speaking out about different topics. And we said, you know, why don't we make this assignment a webinar assignment so that they have to pre-work, you know, they have to record a topic. So the assignment was they had to identify an equity issue um, at their campus, whether it was community college or for university, and then, you know, outline, um, what the strategic plan might look like with, you know, keeping an equity minded focus. And so, um, you know, we gave them instructions for the webinar itself and um, they, we did it individually, like each person had their own individual topic. And, um, and it was, it was just really powerful. Um, Cause we told them, we want you to imagine you 
being able to share this with the potential audiences at your campus or even, you know, posting it online so that people can see it and hear about it. Um, and so I, I feel like it was a very practical assignment for folks and, you know, also allowed others to see their expertise um, and what in their areas. And so this fall, I kind of I took the same assignment and applied it for um, or this last fall. I teach uh, the history of community colleges. And so I adjusted it so that it wasn't individual projects. I put folks in three groups and they kind of had to come up with like a thematic thematic topic around equity. Um, and so each person, but also create it as a webinar. Um, and so, uh, you know, each person had maybe 10, 15 minutes to talk about their equity issue. And then at the end, it was almost like engaging in dialogue with each other around, you know, what was the, like, what was the thread that was cutting across and then offering, you know, uh, potential recommendations for practice and policy for institutional leaders. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's, what we did <laughs> that's how on earth did you did you do eight hour classes over zoom this summer <laughs> um we broke it up we definitely broke yeah we broke it up um we gave them an hour so if class started at nine we gave them an hour of self-care time actually at the beginning and so and that's something that I've continued doing even this semester. I give folks um, and I, I still teach long classes. I teach on Saturdays um, for about five hours. And so I give them the first 30 minutes of self-care time. And I've, I've shared this with my other colleagues who teach, you know, in our master's program in, you know, just regular three hour classes. Um, you know, I think just that time. I, I tell them it's there's something like psychological about it because I could have easily told students like, oh, you know, class starts at 930. But would they have practiced self-care? No. And so and even the students are thankful. They're like, yeah, you know, we wouldn't have done this had you not embedded it into the class time. And so uh, I was like, you know, they don't need a whole hour. They don't need 30 minutes. Even if you give students like 15 minutes, like, hey, we're going to start class at 915, 15 minutes, center yourself, you know, practice some kind of self-care, go for a walk, sleep in a little bit, make yourself breakfast, whatever, you know, whatever it is so that um, it helps kind of bring students uh, to class a little bit more focused, but yeah. And then we take one hour lunch breaks or maybe sometimes 30 minute lunch breaks, but you get creative, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like those breaks, I love the idea of telling students to go take 15 minutes to do something for themselves sounds very, very important. So what, um, what would you change next time? Or if you prefer, what are you going to keep when we go back to face to face and we can just go in any order? I just unmuted cause I was getting ready. So I'll go ahead and go. And <laughs> go ahead. Can, um, You know, without a doubt, we will continue to seek out these alumni or these people that live in, you know, Florida or wherever and and these experts that, you know, um, we can bring in through through Zoom and uh, virtual platforms for sure, I think is, is a great opportunity. And, you know, the other thing, I guess, just, um, thinking about the, virtual aspect of the academic, you know, the academic courses. Um, I do feel I'm teaching a big class right now, and I hadn't taught that yet. This is my first time doing a large lecture. And I'm amazed at how much more questions get asked. I don't know if any of you have noticed that in your courses, but, you know, in a 230, 250 student lecture hall, they're not going to want to raise their hand and ask a question in person. But in the chat, they, they're just going to town. And I love that. And so, I don't know, I think these big classes where there's not a lot of human interaction anyway, I mean, I have to wonder if they're getting more out of it just because we can, you know, I I have TAs that help me monitor the chat so they can answer some of the questions, but I always take a little bit of time to pause and look at the chat. And so I, I, I love that. Stephen, I saw that you unmuted a moment ago. Do you want to? Sure. Yeah. So I'm actually teaching um, the, this class again this semester um, in two different sections of it. 
And so I'm taking a lot of what Kim and I kind of figured out and learned and did and kind of doing it myself. So we don't have two instructors this time, but my kind of office hours and class session time for one section are open to the other section for people who want more review um, and content like that. And it seems to be working well. Uh, I think, you know, in going back to in-person, um, I don't think I'll fully kind of flip the classroom, but using kind of pre-recorded and pre-done content to cover the core of what they need and then devoting the class time for more for the stuff where I know they're going to struggle and making sure to focus more on that such that kind of the time spent in the classroom is, you know, more meaningful and actually the most useful by right? the time when you really need to be in a classroom um, and interacting with them and working on these activities and saving that time for that. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. I think also kind of, you know, even though it may not be kind of um, in the same way where we're both instructors, but having more interaction between uh, instructors, whether kind of uh, Kim coming in for one session to talk about something um, or kind of other, you know, th uh, things doing in that way, I think is useful. And one of the kind of metaphors I think that Kim and I use a lot when we're teaching statistics is it's kind of like learning a language um, in the same way that teaching or learning in a language class um, wherein, you know, it takes a lot of little doing. And the first time you might get like, you know, kind of the words right, but the grammar is not right or other things there. And so the repetition aspect of it, by having a lot of little assignments do, um, not to overwhelm the students, but very low stakes stuff to slowly force them to kind of build the skills they need such that by the time the, the end of the semester rolls around, they can kind of put it all together into a, a project. And so that's something where we've kind of did it in person already, but really just ramping up kind of the amount of tools available to them, um, both inside and outside the classroom to try to help them master it, um, because we kind of know where the questions come from now. Kim, do you see that the same, the same way, or would you do things just a little bit different than what Stephen said? I, I generally agree, and, and in part because Steve and I have already talked about this and thought about, you know, what what might we do when, you know, fingers crossed, we are all back together in the fall. And I think my hesitation with fully flipping the classroom, like Stephen said, is just, you know, colleagues elsewhere on campus who have said, well, not everyone then prepares and watches all that content, and then they come to class sometimes unprepared, that I think there's an advantage to really pulling out some of the stuff and having that available. And, you know, the, the, the more foundational concepts that are often a little bit simpler for students to grasp so that we can really make the use of our, the, the best use of our time together. And I think that's, that's a lesson that you could use in, in any class. And I've, I've even this semester, I'm not teaching statistics, but it's something that I'm really thinking about for the class I am teaching. You know, how can I best make use of this time that we have together? This 75 minutes twice a week. What is the what is going to help you achieve these outcomes the best? Like, what is you know what is stuff that there's not as much of a value add that that can be done more asynchronously? What do we really need to be doing here? And I think that plus also just and it maybe sounds obvious, but just really leveraging what our colleagues have to offer. And I know that, you know, occasionally people will have, you know, a colleague guest lecture or something like this, but it's made me think about not just this class, but other classes. What, what can I do, whether it's colleagues at SDSU or colleagues at other institutions, maybe have people come in through, you know, through Zoom into, into a class session and share their experience or, you know, working to, it helps that, again, it was the same class Steve and I were teaching to really kind of standardize that experience for students so that they don't have a totally different experience in one class with one professor than in the same class with a different professor. And just kind of keeping that, I, I personally think that there's a lot of value in, in having a more consistent experience because then in a later class, you can assume, you know, I know that when students have taken our such and such a class that when they come into my class, they already know how to do X, Y, and Z. And it really, I think, streamlines and then frees up time in, in later classes to do a lot of that. So yeah, I'm just, I'm excited about the possibility. I think thinking about, you know, obviously there's a lot of downside to what we have to do right now just in life, but what, how can we take advantage of this and, and use each other as resources? And I love the examples that, that Denise and Marissa are talking about, bring, you know, bring in your colleagues and, and leverage people who have gone through the program before. I think that these are, these are things we can all be doing. Thank you. Marissa, what, did, what would you keep or what would you change? When we go back to face-to-face, -to -face, do you think? 
So before I answer that, I think there was like two, two random thoughts that came to mind. So Stephen, I was thinking when I uh, was learning statistics, there's that book, Statistics for People Who Think They Hate Statistics. You heard of that? I love that one. I don't know if your students love it, but I do. It makes it fun <laughs> to read through. It's very comical the way that the author writes in it. But anyways, that was a random tangent. And then to Kim's about, you know, um, I, I, I think so I, this is kind of coming back to your question, Sarah, about what I would keep. So I've never been someone to pre-record my lectures. It just seems so awkward to be talking to yourself and then cracking jokes and, you know, thinking you're funny and then you're just laughing at yourself. <laughs> so it just, it felt really awkward. Um, and so I tried to do that this semester, pre-record, especially because they're long, you know, long class sessions. I'm not trying to keep people in on Zoom for eight hours. And so I think what has helped, especially I, we just had class on Saturday and um, I had asked them, I was like, was that helpful? Because uh, one thing that I asked them to do, even though they didn't do it this time around, was that they would watch the, the videos and then on um, Canvas, you've got this studio, Canvas studio. And so where they can put comments as they're watching the videos. And so at the end of the PowerPoint, I'll have some reflection questions. And then I ask them just to respond to the reflection questions. So on one hand, I can at least see that people are watching it, you know, and at least trying to respond. And, you know, I was like, it, it's more for me just to, you know, engage with you <laughs> to do something. But, um, you know, I, I, that's just something that came to mind that I don't, I don't know that I would want to carry over. But in terms of the assignment, um, I think I, I would carry it over. I think it's still it's still a very practical assignment, you know, and I think webinars are not going to go away even when we come back face to face. Um, we've all kind of just been so, uh, I don't know, just socialized now with the Zoom platforms. And I figure people are Zoomed out, but I feel like it's also become a more common way of like uh, communicating our ideas and and topics and so I like it because I feel like the assignment then becomes um, something that's not kept just within the classroom but that it has the potential to reach broader audiences so that if students wanted to share it with their campus partners or you know post it on social media where other people can watch it and gain you know further information then it's possible so um, I, I didn't you know, as opposed to when in the summer we did them individual assignments, I really did like the idea of switching it to groups, you know, three, just because it made it easier to, you know, it didn't prolong the process of grading and reviewing things like that. And, and even then the grading was, I don't, you know, we didn't necessarily have a, a rubric per se. It was just more so did you cover the topics that were, you know, we've asked you to do, but um, I don't know. Well, I, I like it. And, you know, Frank and I, we teach the same courses in the summer, next summer, in the same format, um, whether it's going to be face to face or in person, I could definitely see us maybe using the same assignment or modifying it um, in some other way. But I, I liked it. <laughs> um, what um, anything else that you would change or would keep for next time? There doesn't have to be. Oh, did, well, Denise, I, did you? Go ahead. I just... I, I hadn't mentioned this yet, but we've also used Flipgrid quite a bit in an effort to allow our students an opportunity to film themselves doing something. And it's just been a really user-friendly app for both me and them. But one of the things I've noticed is that they're recording themselves of doing these skills that normally they'd be doing during lab time. And that's become very time consuming for me as an instructor. So I think if I were going to be using Flipgrid in the future, I would try to streamline it. Like, for example, I learned quickly that rather than having them film five separate segments just to do them all together at once into one video instead of five separate videos that were short segments, like it, it definitely helped to have them longer. But 
you know, Flipgrid's been fine, but I just don't think I would use it moving forward when we're in the classroom just because it was truly replacing what we couldn't do in the classroom. Right. Cause, cause some of what you're doing is hands-on. Yes. So for example, if I was teaching them to palpate the shoulder or to do a certain shoulder test, I could show them and then they could video themselves doing it and send it to me. And so I could evaluate them somewhat through the video and it's been a good substitute, but I certainly don't know where it, it's been very time consuming. So I don't know that I would continue to use it when we're back in the classroom. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That seems like one of those hands-on face-to-face lab things. That's just a lot more effective. Yeah. When you, when you (laughs) can pair students up and have them palpate each other's shoulders. Right. Yeah. Did they, did they palpate? Did they do some of those skills? Were they doing them on themselves or were they doing them on people in their Uh, household? That was a challenge as well, because most of our students, you know, had a roommate or a family member they could do it on. Um, but there were a few that didn't and were all alone and isolated, you know. And so we actually had not all of them were would work, but on some of the things they could use a stuffed animal. <laughs> so, I mean, there's certain like motions they could demonstrate on the stuffed animal, the teddy bear. I mean, it, you know, or I'd have them find a video and then they would send me a video that they found on YouTube. You know, it just, but it was a challenge because, yeah, not everybody, or they would have a family member that didn't want to be videotaped for class. Right, you know? right, right. So you have to respect that. Yep. Yeah. I think the stuffed animal is a great way to create community <laughs> in the classroom, which is, one of, which is one of my next questions, which is, what are there things that you did last year or that you're doing this year to create a sense of community that you think will translate or, or you think worked really well, aside from palpating shoulders of stuffed animals. Go ahead, Stephen. Sure. Yeah. So I think one of the things that, that Kim and I did, right. Is we, we had these kind of the, the class sessions were more kind of group review session type things where, Instead of, you know, normally in in a classroom, it'd be more kind of a question to us and then we help them and and kind of respond in that way. And I think particularly um, Kim did this a lot in her sessions and mine to some degree where, you know, you kind of let them answer each other's questions on Zoom um, or in in, um, on Canvas is that actually letting them kind of answer each other um, and supervising kind of, right, to make sure that they're not leading people, you know, going down the wrong path or getting the wrong answer or things, Um, but letting kind of them help each other and encouraging them on these assignments, like the ability to to get help from others. Had to be their own, of course, and we had checks and other things to make sure, but encouraging them actually to, if they hit a wall, you know, obviously we're here to help and can reach out, but also that encouraging them to seek help from the others in the class that, you know, sometimes the best way to learn something is actually to teach it to someone else. Um, and so trying to get them to do that where, where they could. Um, and then, of course, you know, with, with us kind of more in the background. And I think in the returning to the classroom, I'm going to do more of that. Maybe not as formally kind of group work or other things, um, but, you know, creating kind of common problems where groups work on them and we bring them back together and kind of helping out in, in part of that process um, to give them right, more ability to practice and kind of correct themselves before we end up scoring something. So how did you, how did they actually, what was the logistics? how did you actually make that work? Did you have them in breakout groups or did you have them, like how, how did they, how did a student who had a question find a student who wanted to try and help them answer it? That's a good question. So we did it often when it was time for some of the bigger assignments, like we had these problem sets. And so typically in the session, kind of just start at the top. So, you know, question one, and it's like, so it asks you to do these things. So like, how might you approach it? Or someone might toss out an answer, you know, and we're, these were classes of 25. And so maybe depending at the time in the session, you know, 10 to 15 of them there, or maybe fewer depending on the week. So we're not talking huge sessions, Um, but then letting people freely respond and try to steer them in the correct direction or like, I was going to put this, like, I wonder whether that's, you know, the correct way to do it or not. And then maybe we step in if, if one of them is clearly more correct than the other and try to encourage kind of everyone to coalesce around that answer. Um, or at least that's generally how I approach it. I, Kim, did you 
want that. So that's what we did for the the synchronous sessions. I think asynchronously, we also had, we both instituted weekly, we call them practices essentially, and they were incredibly low stakes, but it was, it was an effort to, you're going to see this on your problem set, which is effectively like an exam, take home exam. You're going to see a very similar question with different numbers. You're going to practice it here. And this is where you're going to make your mistakes. And we did them in discussion forums in Canvas. So students had the opportunity, not just to post answers, but then we also let them, you know, go back and not necessarily like they couldn't post nothing and then go back and post their answer, but they could go back and with feedback from the people in their small groups, and they were groups about five, they could, they could add things and say, oh my gosh, you know, you're absolutely right. I should have explained it this way. And they, they can build on it and reply to their own posts. And we, we did see, you know, I've, I've used groups in, in, in face-to-face classes before, and I felt like the dynamic was really very similar where a couple of students kind of catch on to this idea at the start. And then more of them are like, oh, how are my classmates kind of figuring this out? And they're like, oh, this group thing, this is, this is really helpful. And watching that evolve, particularly in the, in the synchronous sessions, it's, so satisfying as an instructor to just kind of be able to sit back and listen to them explain things to each other. And also in a, in a statistics class where, again, most of the students, not all of them, but most of them come in saying, I'm bad at math. I'm bad at statistics. I'm going to do badly in this class. And no matter how many times you tell them that that's not true, they, they're just, they, they believe this about themselves. Just find things that someone else is like, oh, that's so helpful. Thank you. And you can kind of see like, oh, you know, I, I helped someone. Like I explained this and I, I tried to be in, in the forums every week in every group, I called out something that each student had contributed. It's like so-and-so's answer did a really good job of this. And I found something for each of them. And you know, again, I don't know how, how closely they read that, but I tried to, to really point out, you know, this is a thing that you are doing well and to, to kind of reinforce that. And that's, that's something that I think I've done less consciously in the past, but something I would definitely try to continue more of. And you can just see by the end of the semester, like students just felt, they felt more comfortable jumping in. They felt like when they were on camera, it felt like they were, they were kind of sitting up a little straighter and listening a little more. Again, not everyone, but it happened for enough students that I I think there's something to that. And I think that can translate to a a face-to-face class. That's phenomenal. That sort of the... I just want to reinforce just how effective it is to find something to give positive feedback to everybody publicly, like to call people out and say that, that work, that idea, that thing that you did was terrific. How did you, so most of you had students, uh, well, I'm not sure Denise, you really did so much, but Marissa and Stephen and Kim all had students working in groups. Did you have to intervene to help the groups function well? Or did they just do fine without, you didn't encounter those problems with one student doing all of the work and that kind of thing? Uh, no, but, you know, one thing that I, I, there is a difference in being face-to-face and doing this project. And um, what I tell them is that sometimes there's, there's folks that are big picture thinkers that are really good at like conceptualizing the idea and um, talking about it theoretically. And then there's other folks that are maybe that have strengths in the execution and the application of, okay, this is how we're going to do it. And so um, this semester I have encountered a group that, you know, I had put them in breakout rooms, different groups. And there was a group where it was the big picture. They were all the big picture people thinkers. And I could tell because I would pop in on the other groups and the other groups were really, they're moving ahead. They already have their outline. And then this group is still in like circling in conversations about, you know, like the essence of whatever the topic is. I'm like, all right, y'all, let me, let me interject here. And so I feel that, um, had, I, had it been in person, you know, when we were out in a, in a classroom, it would have been easier to maybe facilitate some of the, like, like some cross communication. But, you know, the breakout rooms were great, but I felt like it kind of, I, they were left isolated for a while as I was jumping through the other groups. Um, so I, 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 I don't know. I think that's just, that's, that was one experience that I've had. But other than that, I mean, I feel like for the most part, and maybe because they're doctoral students, I don't know, but they seem to kind of have their, you know, their things together. But, um, but I think, but so going back to your previous questions about like creating space in the classroom, you know, I feel like I've always shown up as a very 
as authentic as I can be, right? And so I feel like that, especially during the pandemic, especially when there's been so much fear and anxiety and stress that, you know, we've all kind of just hung out at home in our pajamas, you know? And at first I was kind of nervous. I was like, well, do I show up to class in like my typical, you know, my little blazer? But, you know, and I would send out some emails beforehand and just say, you know what, I'm... I want to ask if, you know, if you could extend me some grace, you know, and, and as we're going through this semester, um, knowing that there's still a lot that we're going through and, you know, we're working from home, you're seeing the mess behind me or whatever's happening. And so I think that's, that's definitely helped. And, um, you know, giving students space to just talk and vent and spend the first, you know, know, whatever it is of our time just to check in, um, I think that has really helped. Um, I try to play music, you know, when, as right before class starts, maybe like five minutes, I'll, I'll jump into the zoom and I'll throw on some music and, uh, encourage students to get up and dance just to kind of like move around in our seats a little bit, just because it's, you know, we're standing there or sitting for so long. Um, and that just seems, I don't know. I feel like it's just, this. Tr- someone told me, you know, when, when you teach, to the heart that the mind will follow. And I feel like that has been just has resonated with me since the pen, you know, since our summer from fall to, you know, now where we're at is just, I've tried to make things very a, a casual, make it a casual place, but also one where we're respecting and we're learning from each other. Um, but we're also validating our personal experiences. Um, Cause I, I find that, when our students are coming in with all these other things in their mind, like it, you can't focus on the task at hand if you're carrying all of these external stressors. And I mean, we've, you know, y'all know, we've been going through so many things in our country even. So, I mean, I just, you know, we'll, if I need to, I'll be like, okay, instead of today, you know, take, we'll take some time, we'll reconvene. Um, you know, there have been some very emotional class sessions, you know, where people have just broken down and cried and, um, you know, I invite those folks to, you know, turn off their cameras if they prefer or log off and come back in when they're ready. Um, so I feel like that's just been one of my biggest lessons and takeaways. Not that I didn't do that in person, but I just feel like it's definitely been heightened in this, in this difficult time that we've been in and, you know, I think just showing up as, as authentic and as genuine as possible is what folks have been appreciative of. Um, so, yes. I like the dance break. I think the dance break is a good thing. <laughs> Denise, what did you do to create community? Um, well, I would definitely piggyback onto some of the things that um, you all have shared. And, you know, I, I was thinking of your groups, Kim, that you guys mentioned. And I did do this um um, I, I split my my students that were in my labs into these pods. So even though we're a smaller lab, I put them into even smaller groups and I assigned one of my TAs to each pod. And then I was in charge of a pod. And what we could do is put them in, you know, we would save time at the end of each class to be in their pods to just go over kind of what we learned, questions. But what was fun that they did really is they kind of named themselves. So they came up with these, you know, creative names of their pod. And so it just, you know, created an opportunity to build some camaraderie amongst themselves, um, feeling like they were part of something smaller that they belonged to. And so um, anyway, I just, I think that was fun. And then we, they, they love the Kahoot quizzes. So that's <laughs> certainly been a... <laughs> I don't know what it is, but they love the Kahoot. So I think it's a competition of it. I think so too. I think it builds a camaraderie though. I do. I think, you know, seeing how, you know, so-and-so's on a winning streak and so-and-so's on fire now because they've had, you know, it's just that to me is a big camaraderie thing. Steven and Kim, are you familiar with Kahoot? Okay. Just checking. Yes. Go ahead, Kim. Several years in Res Ed, I know Kahoot well. So, um, are there any of my questions that I didn't mention that you are, have really want to go and discuss, or do you have any questions for each other? We have a few more minutes. I 
was just going to look at them again, but I think I mean, I, I guess I just want to reiterate that, you know, our preceptors, so the clinical preceptors are the mentors that are out in the community that take on our students that are doing these internships. And, you know, between the preceptors and the alumni, I mean, they stepped up and it was just such a heartwarming. And I think for the students to see that and to know this commitment that the alumni had to our program and the accountability and I just think that also fed into some of the um, camaraderie and, you know, hey, we are all in this together. And, you know, it, I think, meant a lot to our students that they were willing to come forward and participate during, you know, a difficult time. So I think there's a lot to be said for that, too. And just being, being um, connected and well-connected to your community and your network and, that was huge for us. I, I think that the opportunity that you created to, to strengthen that network of, of alumni and current students is inc- yeah, incredibly was... powerful and really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really the pandemic kind of forced us to push that envelope. You know, we all strive for it, but... <laughs> It's great. Isn't it great when you strive for something forever and then suddenly it works? Yeah. It's, it's kind of the way Kim and Steven teach statistics. Keep plugging away and then suddenly yeah. it works. Uh, anything else, Kim? Do you have? Yeah, I wanted to. So the, the question that you that you posed about how you made it work, I think one of the things I wanted to, to share that I, I think I'm hearing from from everyone else as well is that I think the experience of the past year has really shown us that we can't do all the things that we want to do as we used to do them, but that doesn't mean that we have to scale back and just you know, give everyone an A for showing up and, and not even bother. I think that you, you can get creative. And I think one of the things that I'm going to, to kind of combine with another question, one of the things that I'm really going to take forward when we get back to uh, face-to-face classes is that I can better design some of my classes to be scalable in a certain way. Like I don't have to do everything. I don't have the time to do all the things that I might want to do, but that doesn't mean they can't happen. It means you can call on your colleagues and you know you can do something for them and they can do something for you and you, you can build on that. And that sometimes can be a really rewarding experience for students that didn't actually take you additional time or designing assignments to be still rich, but easier for you to grade. They don't have to be, you know, you don't have to spend hours line editing something for it to be a useful assignment. We don't have, you know, I think we've all realized we just, we don't have, even if we have the time that maybe we had before, we don't have the energy when we have the time. And so finding creative ways to do things and to make, you know, to help students, work together. And then that can be part of their grade as well. And then it's, it's helping them, but you don't necessarily have to jump in and grade it and just finding ways to, to keep a really rich experience without burning ourselves out, I think is something that I absolutely plan to, to continue to do and continue thinking about and learning from all of you and all of, all of our other colleagues as we move forward. I think that one of the things that you and Stephen described was these practice assignments and being very transparent about the fact that this kind of problem is going to be on the the thing that gets graded. Now, go practice it, I think is a terrific model for just what, just the kind of thing that you were saying, Kim. Yeah, and we had, we actually had, we had several layers of practice. Some were questions in. It, It takes a little bit of time at the front to set them up, but then you, you can reuse them. They were just ungraded quizzes and they could go in and test their understanding. And we built in not just that the answer was right or wrong, but through it's so easy to do in Canvas. It would pop up with a little, you know, and here's what why it's not the correct answer. And here's where you should go in the book to find the right answer or which video you should go to. And students could make use of that to the extent that they want. And once that's done, that's done. It's, it's completely, I mean, it's not graded at all. So it's, it's formative and it's helpful and students can really build on it in a way that you know, it's helping them, but it's not taking a ton of time from us once, once it's created. And 
just thinking of more ways to do that, I think, and really showing them how, you know, this thing leads to this thing, of course, is super important, as you said. Yeah, I think um, a lot of what Kim said is right, is absolutely right on and definitely what I'm taking away from it. And one thing that obviously the pandemic, I think, forced a lot of us to do, right, is kind of rethink exactly what you're doing in the class anyway and kind of parcel out kind of how to translate the activity from the classroom to online and do that in kind of bit by bit. And so I think some of the the transitions, um, some of the ways uh, kind of we've transitioned certain activities is actually like really useful and it informed how I'm going to teach it from here forward or provide it. So a lot of the classroom time might have been spent troubleshooting people using um, a particular statistics program on a computer and doing the work in there and end up having to walk around the room and, you know, be like, no, you forgot a parentheses here, a comma here, and now it's not running and spend so much classroom time there. When in fact, I can pre-record, right, a video of me doing it on my computer and very carefully doing it and not to dump them back to like, oh, just go watch the video, but they can see a completely worked out example from start to finish and they can go watch it 50 times until they know exactly which buttons to press and which keystrokes to hit, um, such that the classroom time we do spend can be spent on the stuff, right, that's better for everyone, right, or more useful in that way. And just trying to really, you know, it's going to force me to think about what essentially you want to do with every minute of the classroom time and kind of take out the pieces that don't really belong there, don't need to belong there. That's so exciting to think about that way of making the teaching work. And yeah, very, very cool. Marissa. And now I was just going to echo that. And, you know, as this semester, as I've been pre-recording lectures, you know, my PowerPoints on the bottom on the footer, I would usually put like the semester. And then I stopped. I was like, wait, why am I doing that? I can reuse these for another time. And so yeah, absolutely. I'm like trying to work smarter and not harder for the future. And I was like, I, if, yeah. Anyways, that was definitely an, an aha moment for me, <laughs> which has been great. Any last thoughts before we, before we close? It has been a real pleasure, pleasure talking to all of you. I feel really inspired to go think about how to break things out and get students to help each other and how to find ways to connect students to the larger community. This has been really inspiring. Thank you all so much. Kim Twist, Stephen Gogan, Denise Lebsack, and Marissa Vasquez, thank you. I'm Sarah Elkind, and this has been the Faculty Forward Award interview. Um, and uh, thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the ideas. Nice too. meeting everyone. <laughs> yes, likewise. <laughs> All right, I'm going to